Welcome to Dear Dio, your resource for honest advice and real authenticity for your journey from medical school to residency. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, fourth year medical student, incoming PGY1 neurology resident. And today I'm going to walk you through your transition from a third year medical student to fourth year, what to look for in residency programs, and how to get all the information now before submitting your ARIS application. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a whole episode about how to schedule auditions as well as how I personally prepared for each audition. For more information on that, you should scroll down to two weeks ago and give that episode a listen. This week, we're going to talk about, like I said, the beginning of fourth year, what you should be doing from the months around February of your third year to September of your fourth year. So starting in February, you'll start to look for auditions and sub-internships during your third year in preparation of fourth year. But also, you should be doing these auditions and sub-internships at places that you actually want to do residency at. Makes sense, right? So this episode, we're going to talk about what I looked for in a residency program. Keep that in mind that everyone's different. This was my journey. This is what I kind of looked out for and what residents told me to look out for. So I'm not an expert or anything like that. Just here to give you some words of wisdom. So we're going to talk about what I had on my spreadsheet how I organized my spreadsheet, and what I thought I wanted most out of a residency program. This episode is most suitable for, like I said, third-year or fourth-year medical students who are going to be matching through the NRMP system. This is basically everyone except for ophthalmology and urology. You can refer to last week's episode for information about the San Francisco match Um, where I interviewed incoming PGY-1 ophthalmology resident Kirsten Dawson. So let's get started. What did I look for in a residency program? Well, first of all, I made a Google Sheets, and in this spreadsheet, I had my list of programs on the far left column that I was interested in, and then a column for the number of residents per year, followed by call versus night float, salary, free food, free parking, benefits like healthcare, dental insurance, any research requirements. And then I had an overall pros and cons column that I mainly added information to during or after my interview. So separately from my personal spreadsheet, there's actually a Google Sheets for each specialty that's edited anonymously by all of the applicants. And this is usually found on Reddit or Discord for any given specialty. This is where I found a lot of information about each city, crime rates, accessibility to hospitals. I would sometimes just copy and paste some of the information from that Google Sheet to my own personal spreadsheet for easy access to the information. Keeping in mind that since it's updated anonymously, some of the information might not be right. So it's always good to fact check. So now we're going to go through each of the things that I thought was most important when looking for residency programs, starting with location. As far as location goes, I would try to focus on being somewhere you are close to family or friends, living in a city that you've either visited before or that you would want to visit or live in. Keeping in mind that this is going to be where you'll spend the next three to six years of your life, maybe even the rest of your life. So you want to make sure that this is a place where you see yourself long term. Cost of living in the city is also a huge thing to factor in. 
This information can usually be done with a simple Google search. And I would look at Zillow or Realtor.com, some other site to see what the cost of living is, how much it would cost to buy versus rent in that city, and take that into account when evaluating your salary. So for your salary, if you haven't heard, over the last year or so, there have been multiple protests across the country protesting residency salary wages, especially in high cost of living cities like in California. Resident salary just isn't enough to cover basic living expenses in these really expensive cities. The average resident makes between $50,000 to $75,000 in a given year, meaning that that's your salary, no matter if you're working 40 hours in a week or 80 hours in a week, and there's no such thing as overtime in a residency. Meanwhile, most attendings get paid between $180,000 to $400,000 or more in a given year, depending on the specialty, the city, the hospital, their expertise, etc. The salary for each residency program can be found on residencyexplorer.com. This is the website that I personally use when I was making my Excel sheet for all the things that I wanted to know about each residency program. That would actually be the salary from the previous year. So keep in mind that residency salaries have been increasing over the past couple of years by about $1,000 to $4,000 per year, depending on the program. I also had a column for the number of residents, and this might seem trivial, but at large hospitals, it's normal for there to be many, many residents in each class. However, at some smaller institutions, there might be one or two residents per class, especially in more niche subspecialties. Something that stood out to me when I was looking and talking with residents at different institutions was how in classes with one to three residents per year, the residents have less opportunities to connect with their co-residents because they're spread out amongst different services. Um, And I thought maybe perhaps less interactions with their co-residents might lead to less support and opportunities to lean on each other during tough times. So I personally looked for larger programs. I also considered the possibility that having a larger class size might increase your odds of matching. So keeping that in mind. One of the major determining factors though that I used when considering where I wanted to go, and this really came in strong during my rank list time, was do I want to be on call or do I want a night float? So. To find out whether an institution has call or night flow, you have to talk with either the administration or the residents themselves. But I think this is one of the most important questions to ask before you even apply, especially if there's one that you would obviously like way more than the other. So first, you need to know the difference between call and night flow. So call is when residents are responsible for patients for an extended period of time. That's usually between 24 and 28 hours, but it can be more. At institutions that have call, there's usually an on-call room where a resident can sleep, study, make calls, and place orders at a computer. The quality of the on-call room is obviously dependent on the institution. Some institutions actually allow at-home call where residents can go home and take call from home, put in orders from home, but have to go into the hospital in order to see any new consults and things like that. Night float is essentially just night shift, 
And during the night shift, you'll probably be working between 12 and 14 hours at a time, potentially several nights in a row. A lot of institutions make night float its own rotation. So for two weeks at a time, you will potentially be working six nights in a week for 12 to 14 hours at a time. And you might be thinking, but Michael, six night shifts of 14 hours per week adds up to 84 hours in a given week, which is against ACGME guidelines. Well, most institutions will buffer the night float rotation with a surrounding outpatient or less demanding rotation to offset the hour limit in order to not break ACGME guidelines. Logistically, during night float, there's maybe one or two, maybe three residents on at a time for a given service. Usually they have cross coverage, so those three residents on at that time will be managing all of the services. For example, in neurology, during the day, there's three separate services like consult, general, and stroke. But at night, they are all cross-covering all of the patients on any neurology service. So these residents are responsible for all of the patients on the list and any new patients that come in overnight. There's also an attending physician who usually takes call from home when the residents have any pertinent questions about patient care or if they need to staff a patient with the attending urgently. Then during the day, while these residents who were on night float are home sleeping, there's a day team who's involved in the patient care during the day so that the night team can rest. I personally like the night float system a lot better. I think a lot of institutions are moving away from call, as we've seen in numerous studies that show that being awake for extended periods of time can actually lead to the same quality of judgment as being intoxicated by substances like alcohol. And this is definitely not safe for patients. So I think a lot of institutions are catching up and realizing that being awake for 36 hours in a row is probably not a great idea. I digress. <laughs> so for free food situations, a lot of programs will offer a meal stipend or a meal card. Some programs even just provide free food to the residents and attendings in a lounge or in the cafeteria at all times, which is great. Given the fact that residents don't make a ton of money, having a solid meal stipend or a solution to buying meals other than going to the grocery store can make a big difference in your cost of living, and it's definitely something to keep in mind. Would I make a whole rank list depending on free food? Probably not, but it was definitely something that I kept in the back of my mind. As for parking, this might come as a shock to a lot of you, but a lot of especially large academic institutions, you have to actually pay for parking. This was something that I definitely considered when thinking about my rank list and residency programs in general. It wasn't a deal breaker, but asking the residents straight up, how is the parking at your residency program? Do you have to pay? How far is it? Some of the parking lots are going to be a walk you might have to take a shuttle from the parking lot to the hospital. These are all just things to keep in mind for your personal decisions. Um, as for benefits, taking the time to ask about things like benefits is important because healthcare, let's face it, is super expensive no matter where you live. Dental insurance can be expensive. And especially for people who have chronic medical conditions, asking about healthcare insurance and disability insurance is probably a smart move. Uh, majority of the time, you don't really have to ask about it. 
just take the time to read the sample contract that's emailed to you before the interview or request it if it wasn't emailed to you. And usually the salary can actually be found on the sample contract as well. So that was majority of what I had on my personal Google Sheets in order to stay organized during the process of looking at places and then interviewing and then ranking. So on the same Google Sheet document for my personal use, I also had a pros and cons column as well as an overall vibe comments column. This is where I would usually write something after the open house or after the meet and greet with the residents during the interview and after the interview. It was almost like a little journal that I could keep to remind myself how I was feeling when I interacted with people from this program. So this was just a personal tidbit um, that especially it helped me a lot in the end when it was time to rank, evaluating how I felt after each interview and my overall thoughts. Because in March, it can be really easy to look back on your interviews and your auditions with rose-colored glasses on a lot of different things. So for me, it was good to see how I felt in that moment after the interview or after that meet and greet and make a decision with a level playing field, looking at each program side by side. Another thing that I just want to add to the end of all of that is that if you have any question about a residency program, um, say you, you are confused whether or not they take step one or level one, maybe you only took level one and you want to know if, if it would be a waste to apply to them because you don't have a step one, things like that, I would just reach out to the site coordinator. So if you go on residencyexplorer.com and make yourself a free account, this is not a plug. I don't get paid by Residency Explorer at all. I just think it's a very user-friendly site. At the very top, it will give you a point of contact. I would reach out to that point of contact and ask them your question, but make sure before you ask the question that you've looked everywhere on their website and on residencyexplorer.com to make sure that the answer is not online. After you've made sure that the answer is not online, then you can go ahead and reach out to that point of contact. Make sure you are coming across very professionally. Always address them by their last name, dear Miss blah, 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 or Mr. blah, blah, blah. And make sure that you have a professional signature at the bottom of your email saying your, you know, your name, your title, where you're coming from, your phone number, et cetera. So that is also very high yield in terms of staying organized in this crazy process that is looking at residency programs. And with all of that, I want to mention the importance of attending open houses for residency. So at the end of your third year and the beginning of fourth year, there are a bunch of opportunities to ask all of the questions that are most important to you, including a lot of the ones that I just spent time talking about regarding residency programs. Open houses are usually conducted virtually. You can find more about the timing and the days of these open houses and RSVP for them by making sure that you follow all of your potential residency programs on social media. With that, I strongly advise either cleaning up your current Instagram to make it look more professional or making an entirely new Instagram or Twitter just for residency applications. Residency programs will post about their open houses on their social media accounts and request RSVPs. If you don't RSVP, you will not be able to attend the open house. And if you RSVP, I would make sure that you go. 
And you might be thinking, well, how would they know if I go or not? A lot of them take attendance. So it's good to show your face. That way they know, hey, this person is really interested in our residency program. Maybe we'll give them an audition or maybe we'll give them an interview because we saw them, we know them, etc. So most programs do only about two or three max open houses in a given season. So it's a good idea to make sure that you are capitalizing on this great opportunity. I personally wish that I went to more. Um, I only went to about two. That was probably a regret on my part, but it all worked out. So at open houses, the programs, program director is there, their faculty, and a lot of their residents, they hop on a Zoom call or Microsoft Teams or maybe WebEx and talk with fourth years and third year medical students about their program. They answer questions and give an overall feel of what it's like at their residency program. I thought this was a great opportunity to see the program director face-to-face or screen-to-screen rather before the interview or before your audition. And a lot of the times they'll break out into rooms where you can talk with the residents about living situations, call versus night float, meal stipends, benefits, what their city is like, and all the things that you want to know. I would suggest going into that meeting with a list of questions already that you have because they're going to ask you about questions. They're going to expect you to come in swinging with questions, so have them ready. These help a lot um, because this is before you even hit submit on the ARIS application. So this will help you avoid applying to programs that maybe they have a red flag for you and you wouldn't have applied to them if you had known. It's also nice to do these open houses at places where you know you're going to be doing auditions. This is what I did, and it gave me an opportunity to ask what they expect out of auditioners and really helped me a ton. It helped me in allowing me to introduce myself to the residents in a low-pressure environment before I started my audition. I got to meet the program director in a low-pressure environment before I got there. It was all just very positive, and if I could go back, I would have gone to more. So please, please, please take my advice and sign up for these open houses, but make sure that you attend, make sure you ask good questions. And as always, throughout the entire audition, interview, everything match season, be putting your best foot forward, maintain a positive outlook. And no matter like what you have to do to to do that, whether it's meditation, yoga, working out, like just try to be as positive as you can. So that is all that I have for you guys today, but stay tuned for the upcoming weeks. We have an interview with a incoming ENT resident or otolaryngology resident, and I also have tips on the supplemental ARIS application. What is it? How does it work? The actual ARIS application itself, how many programs to apply to, and as always, send me your questions. I'm going to answer your questions on the podcast, okay? Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me and let me know what you want to hear about next week, who I should be interviewing next, and let me know what you thought about this episode. You can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dear.do.pod, although I've kind of taken a step back from TikTok because 
it's a toxic environment, y'all. Like, we don't need TikTok in our lives. Um, you can also check out my official website, DearDOPod.com, for blog post guides, and you can submit your questions about all things medical school anonymously. Support the continuation of this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Cologne, recording and production by yours truly, and I hope to see you here next time. <laughs>